Joining me this week, return engagement to the guest host chair from the lovely city of New York, where if there's bad weather there, everyone's going to know about it. It's Andy McCullough. Andy, how are you? Oh, man, it's, it's raining out. Uh, you know, it's I'm very surprised tough. I, I don't have 173 tweets about the rain. Uh, yeah, I mean, we're tough here in New York. I'm a lifelong New Yorker, as everyone knows. Uh, you know, we're, we're, we're built, built different, as they say. So... We're somehow going to do a baseball podcast, even though there's not much going on in baseball, because that's our job. And Andy has nothing better to do anyway. It's um, all true. <laughs> we'll talk about labor. We'll talk about some Hall of Fame stuff. We'll talk about what's going to happen when this finally ends. And it's going to end, folks. Uh, and then we'll uh, talk about, we're just playing the same musical guest we had last week, because we got so much good feedback, and we only were able to play two tracks from them. We'll go through your emails, we'll talk some other shit, and we'll get out of here. You ready to go, Andy? Let's do it. Andy, your tweets are the most important updates on the lockout situation. Um, there are more talks. There, there were more talks earlier this week. Um, I believe the, 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 the word I saw the most were heated. Um, and it's now February 3rd. Uh, there is it's unquestionable now it's undebatable that spring training is not going to start on time because spring players pitchers and catchers would be reporting in 10 to 12 days that's just it's we're not there um are you more less the same pessimistic about this than you were let's say three weeks ago uh pessimistic about what about us getting baseball again oh Oh, I thought you meant just like just the prospect of having to do this again for another year. Um, yeah, no, I mean, I'm, I'm about status quo. I mean, this is kind of how I thought it would go. I mean, I think that's what makes it so uh, irritating for fans is that like it's creeping along. There's no uh, there's not a lot of hustle. Uh, it seems to be clear, <laughs> right? Um, you know, and and that like like not to do. We're not going to do both sides. The, the the owners are the ones who have initiated this lockout. You know, they're the ones who have caused this. Please don't DM me and call me anti labor. Um, you know, I, someone's so going to do it anyway. Uh, well, you know, whatever. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think this is about how I thought it would go. I mean, I figured that spring training would kind of get screwed up, and probably by March it'll get resolved. But that, like is just based on like intuition i haven't called anyone and asked i haven't done any reporting on it because like i'm pretty disconnected from reporting on it i just uh, have just a small art project about the lockout on twitter every day so that's about it <laughs> do you i mean the, 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 i'm trying to figure out how to word this right do you just sit there and go ah, drelic and rosenthal have this i'm not going to get involved 
I mean, yeah, because like, and that's not to, that's not even out of laziness. It's because, you know, first of all, this is Evan's job, Evan Drellick. And to be clear, Andy, Andy works for The Athletic, oh, a, yeah. a, a owned and operated subsidiary of the New York Times. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. I'm uh, colleagues with uh, Jorge Arangre, finally. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, like this is Evan's job is to cover labor. Like he is in charge of this. He does this year round. You know, like when I'm writing stories about you, Darvish and Tony LaRussa, Evan's thinking about labor and this is sort of his World Series, right? Like, you mm-hmm. know, Evan's not writing game stories off the World Series. He's doing this, you know, and this is he's really good at it. And so like and Ken is Ken, you know, he's he's locked in on everything. So if I were to contribute to this, I would just be calling the same people they're calling. I'd be right. doing, you know, it'd be, it'd be overkill. I'd be call, you know, they'd be calling me like after they had already spoken to Ken and Evan. So it's, there's really no point for me to get in on like the nitty gritty and like, it's obvious, you know, in the sort of uniformity of reporting you're getting about these talks that there are a couple people, you know, there are people on each side who are designated with getting out the word on like how today's meeting went, which is why like every report off the last one used the word heated, um, which, you know, again, it's very cold here in New York. And so I'm glad that they, you know, had central air, uh, you know, at the meeting. So I mean, so is that, are you still there right now? Like if, if, if some sports book called you, and ignoring your conflict of interest here, and you get to quit your job. They're going to give you a hundred million dollars. You have to set an over/under date for when they come to an agreement. Are you are you early March? Yeah, I I would I think uh, we actually don't have a pool at the athletic. We should have because that'd be a fun thing to gamble on. Um, but I guess it's unethical, so whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think March third is when they will come yeah. to an agreement. I think that's a really good day. That's my that's my. Let me look at when that is on calendar. That's a Thursday, you know. That's how, yeah, Thursday's yeah. good, right. And so the uh, idea maybe spring training starts, you know, at the end of the next week and they get in three weeks, they shotgun three weeks of games and, you know, show up on April or March 31st and all the pitchers blow out their arms. It's, you know, <laughs> can't wait. Um, I, let's, let's talk about that because I, I, I have talked to some teams about, like, what they're doing right now, if you will. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of them are like, you know, they're loading trucks and stuff and they're going down there because minor league camp's going to start on time in, in early March and, and minor league games look like they're going to start somewhere around the, the 18th or so. So like people are sending stuff down there and sending people down there and things are going on. Um, at the same time, um, I, I, I asked two questions of, of a few people. My first was, how much time do you need? Once they say, "Hey, we have an agreement," how much time do you would you like to have in a perfect world before you start spring training? Like, how long a ramp do you want, and how much do you think you're going to get? Um, and the answer was generally, "We'd love to have two weeks," and and mm-hmm. that that sounds right to me. Having seen teams here for spring training, about a two week runway here is is, is good. They think they're going to get seven to ten days. Um, mm-hmm. So a March third would be a March tenth spring training. Mm-hmm. I bet they go four weeks anyway and just kind of push things back like a week into April. I don't, I don't know. I mean, can they, can they do like, that seems like a heavier lift than just, you know, basically. three weeks is tough, man. But yeah, but you know, all you do is you just basically tell all the teams decide like, okay, this is the first week of games where, mm. you know, we're, we're stretching out our pitchers, you know, so pitchers are only going four innings or whatever. I, right. I just feel like moving dates and stuff like that. That's a way heavier scary. lift. That's a way heavier lift than just breaking the, the labor force, which is what. But they, that's also right. But I, that's know. also kind of like what the players have over them, which is like, well, you'll lose games. You know, you'll lose revenue. You'll lose games. Yeah. Um, 
And then adding to all of this is just the fact that even though we had the the, the free agent wackiness leading into the lockout that everyone knew was coming, um, we still have a huge number of free agents out yeah. there. And we still yeah. have kind of, even with all the science, we have roughly half an off season to get through yeah. um, in seven days. Carlos Correa does not have a team. Yeah, and he's not alone. There's plenty of really good players who don't <laughs> oh, yeah. have a team. Well, yes, yeah. but yeah. <laughs> I mean, obviously Correa is the biggest name, but like, there's still plenty of really big name free agents out there. And they're going to say, okay, we're going – and spring training starts in seven days. And I, I had three different team officials, it, the, the, instead of the word heated, use the word chaos. Yes. For what it's going to yeah. be like. It's going to be insanity because teams are not ready. Like, they don't have their rosters set and they're starting in seven days. Yeah. I mean, I think that uh, when we get to the World Series and every team is using an opener and every day is a four-hour bullpen game nightmare, just remember <laughs> that the sport has been like – totally screwed up for about three years now you know right. like the 160 game three. season going back to 162 and now you know you've got dealing with the shortened spring training you know it's 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 going to affect things in terms of injuries in terms of development in terms of dudes getting shut down early um you know it's it's going to look like a mess and so yeah i mean it's it's uh it's going to be a mad scramble you know for correa and freeman and you know yeah. hundreds of other guys to to find deals um so it's it's going to be interesting uh you know which would uh is one thing to look forward to like it's going to be a very exciting time to be a baseball fan uh yeah, it's going to be I an utterly miserable for... time to be a you know work in a baseball front office though it's going to be hard and it's also going to be a lot of work for people who work in the media um that's fine like, should we get, like, you know, there's been already, like, some talks in fan graphs, like, do we need to get in front of this and start writing up some free agents now? Cause, and then, you know, add the add the where they sign and what it means to the team, but just write up the, the, the you know, what you can of the transaction now, because there's going to be so many of them. Come on, bro. You guys don't pre-write your transaction analysis? No. You guys need to. Someone needs to have a strong talk to Meg Rowley about getting your house order. No. Um, <laughs> come on, man. Do you, uh, you know, once we get going, will you go to Florida and or Arizona? Um, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it depends on what sort of stuff I'll be working on. Um, I have a pretty strong no Florida policy uh, that I try and abide. <laughs> uh, I really much prefer Arizona. And one yeah. of the, the, the main thing that I would like to write during that one week theoretical spring training would be set in Arizona. Um, but there's no, I mean, you know, theoretically, right? Like this, there's nothing stopping them in theory from hammering out a deal by tomorrow. Uh, that's not going to happen, but like mm-hmm. they, that, that is possible. So like there could be, I, I just haven't planned for spring training yet because I just don't know, but I know that there's one thing I really want to write in spring training and that would take me to Arizona. Um, and then there's some other things that I'm interested in that, you know, might take me to Florida, but and they might also just be stuff that I do in April, you know, on the East Coast. There are pockets in the Florida spring training world that are worse or better than others, at least. Well, yes, but uh, there's nowhere that's better than Phoenix. That's fair. <laughs> and as you know, I mean, just the convenience of yes. Phoenix is is uh, a remarkable upgrade from Florida. Just you know, hang out in Lakeland for a couple of weeks. Yeah, I've eaten at the Ruby Tuesdays there. <laughs> I think I have as well. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, you got to do what you got to do, man. It's, it's actually one of the three best restaurants in Lakeland, Florida. <laughs> uh, 
Um, I, I did want to talk to you. Do you have a Hall of Fame vote yet? Uh, I am eligible, and I do not vote. You're el- okay. Is that a personal decision? Yeah, yeah. Because people just... in the wait, so I want to get into this for a second. So though you were, yeah, people at the athletic do vote for the Hall of we Fame. Sure you do. choose, you choose not to. Yeah. So uh, I used to vote for the end of season awards. Um, my first year in the BBWAA was 2010, I guess. Uh, yeah, 2010 at the Star Ledger. I voted for the BBWAA awards up until uh, 2016 when I went to the LA Times. The Times has a no voting policy, mm. um, and I just found I don't miss it like at all. Uh, so when I came and that back, policy yeah. is is, is that those, I know there are there are publications that have those policies, and those policies are based on like you're not the story. Is that yeah? Just a, it's like it's sort of just an ethical conflict, a potential mm-hmm. ethical conflict. Um, you know that uh, the the Times, the Washington Post, the New York Times, uh, my colleagues at the New York Times, uh, you know, have as like a, a I think the Wall Street Journal too, possibly. Um, uh, but at least I know those three publications have just a no voting policy. Are you? Do you know now that you are a fully owned and operated subsidiary of the New York Times if that will policy will spread to the athletic? I, no, I don't think so. I think there's a pretty significant separation in church and state between the gotcha. two organizations. They want the athletic to be the athletic. So, you know, we talked a couple. We had a couple episodes where we talked about the Hall of Fame voting. Obviously, David Ortiz getting in, and some of the. I, I believe that this was the first year where the fans started to revolt against Hall of Fame voting because mm. they realized how shitty it was. Mm. Um, because it just seemed for the first time like people were really upset, and you saw players tweeting about it. Like it was just like, what the hell's going on here? Um, what are your feelings about the Hall of Fame voting? Uh, I can talk about this for a while. Let's do it. Uh, we, have, we have nothing else to talk <laughs> yeah, about, Andy. Right. Please, let's we talk, to about talk about Hall of Fame voting. I have a lot to say about my tweets. No, uh, <laughs> yeah, I mean, so uh, like I said, I'm eligible. Uh, I declined the ballot. Um, I don't think I'll ever vote. Um, so if you decline me, the ballot, just to be sure, just on the candidate, that yeah, is not a blank ballot. It's just like you're just no, not no, a voter, was, right? Okay, it was good. a representative from the Hall of Fame contacted me in 2019 and said, "Would you like a ballot?" And I said, "No, thank you." You know, and that's mm. and they've. I think I was asked one other time, uh, and yeah, I've just kind of communicated. I'm not interested, but it's the Got sort it. of thing like if if I change my mind, I could message you know Josh Roberts right. at the Hall of Fame, and I'm eligible for the vote. You know, I've, I've done my 10 years in the BBWAA. And right. I'm an active member of the BBWAA, which, you know, makes me eligible. But gotcha. um, I don't think I'll ever vote. I, For me personally, I don't see the value in it. Um, i just rather spend that time doing other things. Um, you know, I feel like the Hall of Fame in some ways has left the BBWA holding the bag on all this. On yeah. The, the ethical and moral dilemmas, you know, that the Hall sort of creates. Um, personally, I think baseball would be better off if the hall of fame just took the formula from like the football hall of fame where like 30 guys wearing blazers and golf shirts who used to you know coach and play you know get together in a room and smoke cigars and they argue for six hours and then someone walks out and is like okay this year it's uh uh walter jones and aeneas williams and everyone just goes like all right see you in canton uh because like what happens now is like Every year, the BBWAA votes on the Hall of Fame, and every year, readers, fans get mad at the BBWAA for the outcome. And I think, as you said, this year it was probably like the most vociferous. And and what what the BBWAA is, or at least like why I joined it, 
I joined it because I needed daily clubhouse access to cover the Mets back in 2010. Like I, right. the card gets you into the room to talk to players and coaches and managers and commit acts of journalism. And the overwhelming majority of people in the BBWAA joined because they needed access. The scope of the organization has changed in recent years as it's, you know, there's obviously like the, not the only job in baseball writing is beat writing. So mm-hmm. the, the job it, it's, you know, not everyone fits into that little bucket, but I still think that is the significant majority of people who are in the BBWAA. And so more than anything else, like we're a collection of journalists. And right. when we vote on these awards, we lose our status in a way uh, as reporters who like bring the public news and entertaining stories about like their favorite players and the teams they like. You know, we stop being jour- journalists and we morph, morph into this like block of morons, you know, the, who are like. <laughs> And, and and I'm not and that's like in the eyes of the public. I'm not saying we are behavior because I don't know how to litigate all these things. But it's like in the eyes of the public, you know, we're not like the people who write about baseball, but like we're the idiots who kept Barry Bonds out of the Hall of Fame, or like we're the cowards who are willing to vote for Kurt Schilling, or like we're mm-hmm. the 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 geezers who don't support Scott Rowland or whatever. And like I just I don't see how it benefits us as a group of journalists to mm-hmm. to do this, you know. And like, I also don't really see it changing. I I know a lot of writers, you know, kind of cherish the privilege of voting, and like, I totally get that. It was once something that you know I thought was going to be important to me. It it takes ten years, you know. You last a decade in this business, you know. You you do deserve some sort of award, <laughs> um, but I, I you know I just don't think that this is the way the award should function, like where you're basically running cover for an organization, which is not like offer clarity about the character clause or guidelines about how to handle steroid guys or, or won't even expand the ballot beyond 10 guys. I mean, like that part has always melted my brain. Like it's, it's a binary question. The question well, that, should be, well, yeah, that there's plenty of parts about it. I, the, I don't understand the whole, like the, the growth of, of hall of fame, eligibility in the sense that like oh well scott Rowland got to 30 and then he got to 40 he's on his way three or four years he'll be in he's either a hall of fame or he's not yeah i mean that part i don't i don't understand that at all like i remember in maybe it's 2011 the first year jeff bagwell was on the ballot Mm -hmm. i he's like a slam dunk hall of famer and he got like 30 percent of the vote and i was like what the like that makes no you know so like i think parsing the individual voting trends i mean i talk to my friends like people who i really respect and i talk to them about this stuff and i'm like what are you guys talking about like what that's your like that's your logic it's really strange actually in, in some ways um so yeah i just don't see how it benefits baseball writers to keep voting for this but that's my opinion um no one cares you know i or, care well, that's true. But, but wait, like, I think, so I want to follow this up with the, like, the yeah. ugly question. So you don't think the Baseball Writers Association should be voting for the Hall of Fame? Is, is that what I'm hearing? Is yeah, that... I, I don't. I don't. Okay. I agree with that. Like, I don't. Yeah. I, 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 I feel like there's no reason for them to be gatekeepers to this thing because it turns into this weird thing where it doesn't like what happened this year doesn't make sense. Like if Ortiz isn't and Bonds isn't, you've, you've created a, a, something that defies logic. Yeah. I did enjoy the sort of uh, there's some people were were sort of suggesting like uh, you know Ortiz got in because he was you know nice to the reporters and Bonds. I would suggest that he was jerk. Well, you know what? Maybe there's a lesson there, Kevin. Be nice to me. <laughs> 
but I get like I like I said like I it's I don't think it's fair to like you know incriminate the entire base because like David Ortiz got ten percent of more votes than Barry Bonds did, and I just feel like honestly like it's ten percent that's ruining it for the rest of them. Um, yeah, along, I mean, along with like ballots like only Jeff Kent. Well, that rocks. I mean, I, think, <laughs> I mean, I think the the only reason I would ever take the ballot would be to do some sort of bit, you know, like to, yeah, I don't know, like to, to take the ballot and only vote for Dan Heron and just say like, this is, I'm only voting for Hall of Famers who like, I have the cell phone number of, uh, you know, stuff like that. I, I yeah, I, I just, I guess my strongest opinion about the Hall of Fame is that it's a museum in central New York and it shouldn't make you mad. You know, that, well, but, that's why that's my, my radical solution to this is just no plaques like baseball hall of fame should be a hall of fame that, that celebrates and educates on the history of baseball, good parts and bad parts. And mm-hmm. so like there's Barry Bond stuff. Then you talk about the bad Barry Bond stuff and like there's Pete Rose sure. stuff and you say, Hey, this lady, this guy was an absolute asshole who received a lifetime ban and well-deserved for, for gambling on baseball. Right. And but you just have it all in there and people can make up their own minds instead of this weird the the, the hollow plaques right now is very is a very strange thing because of people because the of again, a small percentage of the baseball writers, like turning it into something where they basically erased the baseball I grew up with. Yeah, I mean that's I think if you're looking for ways to solve it, that's certainly one of them and, and that's almost that's a more inclusive idea. Um I just it's not my problem. Like, I don't... Like, <laughs> it's a good way to put it, yeah. It's it's just not... If the Hall of Fame wants to fix itself, it should. It's not up to me. Like, I did not join the PBWAA so I could fix the Hall of Fame. Like, mm-hmm. and, and, I, and I, I feel like I when I, when I pass along this opinion a lot of times, like on Twitter, I kind of stopped actually talking about this several years ago because I found it just, like, pissed people off. Um, but, like, I just, I don't care about the Hall of Fame. It's not my problem. Like right. it just, it's, it's, I, I, it is not my, it's not my job to fix it. If it matters to fans, like they need it, like I, I, that aspect of it. Like, I'm not sure, you know, I thought Bill Shaken wrote a really good column about this uh, in the wake of Bill Shaken and the LA times wrote this in the, in the wake of the, uh, the vote this year where it's like Barry Bonds isn't in the hall of fame. Like get over it. He's still Barry Bonds. He's still awesome. You can still go look at his baseball reference page and see all the black ink. You can still go watch the highlights. You still have your memories. Like mm. I, it, how, like this is all made up. It's a museum. Like it's, uh, I don't know. Um, I think I, I, I don't know. It's, it's just not something that, that I'm, I'm, I'm stammering to come up with something besides like, yeah, it's not my problem. I don't know. And you, you, you don't put on awards either. Yeah, yeah, I just I just stopped doing that. Um, I feel like it takes a lot of time. I think it's actually gotten really difficult. Like I don't. I think MVP is is easier than like Cy Young. I think Cy Young is just really complicated now. Yeah, and it involves like a level of thinking about pitching that I'm just like not interested in engaging in. Um, and then like <laughs> voting for manager of the year. I mean that is just like that is just such a waste of time because we do not have a clue who is a good manager or not like that. Uh, yeah. I don't know. What do you, what are your feelings on some of the, the CBA talk stuff now, possibly tying um, certain compensations to both players and teams um, on awards? 
I think I've been looking for a retirement plan for a long while, and uh, I'm going to talk to some of these gentlemen who have these, uh, you know, provisions in their deal, and, you know, you're never going to see me again. <laughs> yeah, I mean, obviously, ethically disastrous, uh, and uh, would be a huge problem, but not necessarily for the players. It'd be a huge problem for the, the journalists, you know. Well, this um, is, the, like, do you think, because I... Like you said, there are there are people who genuinely enjoy voting for this stuff. Yeah. Um, there are people also, and I think it's a minority, to be clear, who get an ego hit from it. Um, yeah. Like if, if that if if that came to fruition, would there? Do you think? I know you, you're not a, the president of baseball, players, nor are you any sort of important executive board member. You're just a member. Mm-hmm. Um. Do you think it's fair to have a discussion of whether the base player should vote for awards at that point? Yeah, I, you know, what's interesting is like, I don't vote for either, but I actually, if you're asking me who the BBWA should vote for, I think it makes more sense to vote for the end of season awards in the Hall of Fame, I think, mm-hmm. in some ways, because like, I, I don't know, we, we maybe are the best people to determine who's an MVP. I think that is like less uh, ethically and morally fraught than the Hall of Fame is, right? Mm-hmm. Um. I don't, I don't have a real solution for that. I, I choose not to, to engage in that. And there's, and there's like everyone, a lot of people like voting um, and then they do it for five years and then realize it just turns their mentions into a, a cesspool for a week and then they stop. Um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, I don't know. I mean, I think that if it happens, there will have to be a discussion, you know, with the BBWAA about uh some of the ethical quandaries here it's come up in years past because i remember there was a pitcher with the cubs i want to say tyler chatwood like had some um some provisions like this uh i feel like justin well, but, turner might have some actually right I mean, I mean most players have what's called it's, it's not huge money they, it's it's i mean you literally put it in the offer of a contract it's standards award package mm-hmm. you know and it's really it's like it's like 50, 100 grand for various awards. And, and almost every player has an incentive to win awards. Right. Well, I'm point. looking. Yeah. I, but I think like for some of them, like, like Justin Turner has his, his option increases. Um, That's where weird things happen. His yeah. option increases by, this is based off COTS. He's got a 2023 option that increases by a million and a half. With a top fifteen finish in two twenty twenty two MVP vote. Now that's like a club option, so there is some, uh, some right. stuff in there. Um, but like, I think that's one first place vote would get you into yeah. the top fifteen. Right. So uh, I'm gonna need to place a call to Los Angeles <laughs> after this pod finishes up. Yeah, it's as you can tell, like it's a uh, it's it's an ethical nightmare. And I mean, I, I, I don't think any writers would engage it because you'd get caught so easily and it would like stick out like a sore thumb if you, you know, like you're the only person. But I just think it's a slippery slope. And so we, we probably need to codify some language, but um, that'd just be my take. I, I, I don't know. I mean, let's see if they can get a CBA together before we react right. to what's in it. And yeah, I, like you said, the, 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 the core of this organization is about access. I'm not a member because i don't need to be a member to do my job that's my basic feeling on it like i don't i don't really care about voting and i don't need them to do my job because i'm not ever going to be the kind of person who goes into a clubhouse and stuff right right and and but i like i think if you if you 
I, I'm sure that I'm sure people with Fangraphs do have cards and like there are you, Fangraphs members, yeah, I, yeah. Uh, and if you apply, Dan, and, you know, Dan, Dan Simborski is mm-hmm. a member. I think David's a member. Meg's a member. Yeah, Jay Jaffe's but, a member. Yeah, there's members. I, I am sure the Chicago chapter would have you. You know, if you wanted to be part of it, and I know that that was you know maybe ten years or so ago. That was that there was a big thought that like, hey, we've got all these guys who aren't in clubhouses every day, but are sort of vital parts of the, you know, baseball writing landscape. And, they're and, not and, they, and, they, and they still often don't get in. I'm not going right. to get into a specific person mm. here, but I, I do know of a specific person oh. who did not get in recently and was told they needed to go to more games. Well, you know, I got nothing for you there. I'm not really, <laughs> I don't know. Man. I just, I, <laughs> I joined the, I'm in the BBWA to get the clubhouse access, which is never going to happen again. So what do you, do think? you think that's the, like, like, honestly, so, you know, obviously, you know, there is still a global pandemic. Do you, what are your expectations? Let's just, let's just play our game and stick with our date, right? March 3rd, mm-hmm. they come to an agreement. Spring training starts on March 13th. Um, and the season starts in April. Do you think you have clubhouse access on April 7th? No. No, do you I don't think, think you, do you think you have think clubhouse access on September fourth? I don't think we ever have clubhouse access again. Really, like, like so. Okay, so let's. I'm gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna take our our little fantasy world and go forward one year. It's now 2023. Um, magically, COVID is eradicated slash just something endemic that we deal with well, right? Both unlikely at this point, but let's mm-hmm. just pretend. Um, so 2023, like you can. You are free to travel, like you are free to go to restaurants. They don't necessarily need a mask anymore. Like, like COVID's finally, we've returned to normality, as mm-hmm. they've said. And and you know, it's, it's and and we have a CBA, so there's no problems with that. Season starts on time. It's April second, twenty twenty three. You go to the opening day game between the Blue Jays and the Yankees at Yankee Stadium. You get it at the ballpark. At, it's a night game. You get there at I don't know four twenty five. Um. You don't think you can walk into the clubhouse then either? Well, to be clear, in this scenario, I'm sailing my boat, the JT Turn 2, uh, off <laughs> Catalina Island. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and so I'm, I'm nowhere near any of you losers. Um, Fine, yeah, well, no, Mark, well I, Mark, Mark Carrick walks in. Does he, well, get, does, does he get Mark into Mark walking into a ballpark. What is this, 2014? Uh, yeah. I Ken Rosenthal think... walks in. Okay, okay. So it's a Fox game. Um, <laughs> I can just keep going all day. I'm just kidding. Let's just keep it. James Wagner walks in. Oh, boy. Okay, so he's writing about sneakers. Sounds good. <laughs> Lindsay Adler walks in. Uh, yeah, she'll just do a good job. She's just a professional. Okay. Um, all right. So I don't think we're ever going to get clubhouse access again. I, 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 ever. I just, Zero. You think ever. that's just over. I, I mean, just think it's... why do you think that is? Like, I know there I don't are think players, the players who are... want us there. I don't think the players. There want are some, but do you think that you think the majority of players don't want you guys in the clubhouse? Yes, I think the majority do not want us in there, and that's fine. I've, like I, that's, I've heard other people yeah. who don't think that's the case. Like people, like professional baseball writers on the beat, who think that that actually the majority are fine with it, and that there is a lot of people who don't, but that the, if you had them hmm. vote, the majority would be fine with it. So I'm interested in why you think this. Maybe it's that the majority don't care. I would say that mm. there is a They're not going to fight for it. There's a there's not going to be many players I don't think who are like no 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 we need to get all those strangers into this room where we change every day. Right, that makes sense. I mean, um, do you do you think that 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 Major League Baseball as in the industry as in with offices in New York Major League Baseball 
doesn't want you in the clubhouse. No, I think Major League Baseball is fine with it. I mean, I think it's good. I think more access is good for the sport because it involves. Mm-hmm. It means you're going to get better stories. You're going to get you know like better coverage. Um, fan, you're going to connect readers better. Like I think it's I think it's a net positive for Major League Baseball to have clubhouse access. However, like I very much understand players who if like if given the choice between allowing you know this pack of weirdos who look like me to come in the room where they get dressed every day. Uh, if we can kick those people out, they would probably take that. And if, right. you know, uh, if they'll still, you know, I think some teams did a better job than others of making players available uh, in kind of the second half of this year when mm-hmm. um, there was kind of a, you know, that lull um, where I could, felt like we were coming out of it. Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a good summer. And so some teams were pretty good about that. Uh, some teams were less productive, but, you know, still made a, you know, quote unquote effort. Um, so like you could still talk to players and you could still do your job. It just is not as efficient and as effective as it was working clubhouses. And I just don't see from the player's perspective why they would ever let us back in. And, you know, like, again, the pandemic aspect, like that's still going to be with us in this coming season. So maybe next year. You know, there will be a, you know, maybe next year it'll be a situation where, you know, there's enough immunity where we don't have to worry about it. But um, I think by then, you know, they'll they'll have been into year, you know, three years without clubhouse access. And I just don't see who on the player side is going to be fighting for it. And Mm -hmm. I don't think it's enough of a priority for the owners to, you know, like fight on it like if you want to give players a concession like okay yeah take it like kick them out we don't care like right. you know what i mean so like, so so you yeah. like obviously if this happens and it became like a permanent thing and it was already like i know that you know the the, the leadership aspect of the baseball race you know it's kicked up some you know some dirt on this and said hey you know we need access you guys need to, to fix this um you, you don't think that would get any traction if they just said yeah we're never letting you in again i just don't i, I don't really see what recourse the writers have right um, and I don't mean to like sell out my even on a brother. even on like a even on like a public relations level. Oh yeah, because if you know the public has to choose between the press and the players, they're definitely going to side with the players. Like, right. I mean, like you know, we have no chance. Like, hey, like yeah, like we're we have no chance there. Um, I do think that it's better for everyone if we're in there. Uh, you know, as long as you can be. Uh, safe i mean you know for as long as you're not like you know rapidly spreading the virus but i do yeah, think no, it's better if for the players and that you know they get to know the people who are covering them so they can forge better relationships um it makes for you know better stories for the readers you know and it's obviously better for the reporters i do think it's a net positive but i also understand you know it seems pretty clear like why guys would not want us in the room right i've always been of the of the mind that they should be allowed in the room but at the same time like players should absolutely there should never be forced availability if you will like the whole like the football version of i'm just here so i don't get fined kind of thing yeah like if if you know and it's rarely as rarely as availability forced but even if if you know zach ranky starting game two of a playoff game he shouldn't mm-hmm. have to do the, the presser that that he doesn't want to do um, yeah, I mean, Granky's an interesting case because there's obviously like some medical stuff behind that. Um, but I think like that's a bit of a slippery slope if, you know, because if Grank, you know, if you, if you let someone who 
doesn't have social anxiety, you know, documented social anxiety, skip oppressor, then, you know, a bunch of other guys would be like, wait, why do I have to talk to these guys? <laughs> um, but no, yeah. I, but I think that's fine. I, I, I think, honestly, you should, like, I think, honestly, players should be able to say, I just want to talk to them, and that's fine. Like, I, you, you should, I think there's plenty of people who would want to talk to you, happy to do it. Yeah. Um, but if a player doesn't want to talk to you for good medical reason or not, they should just say, I don't want to talk to the press. Yeah, you know, that should I be think- okay. Guys pretty much have that right. Like, I think yeah. most just choose to do it because it's easy. It's a less, you know, it's easier to just grumble through a four-minute press conference than it is to turn it into a three-day story. Right. And and, and and to be fair, and I hope you'll support this, maybe I'm wrong, but, like, for the most part, if you go into a clubhouse, you want to talk to someone, they'll give you some time. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And, and I found, like, this year... You know, with a few exceptions, like when I went up to guys or when teams, you know, told them to talk to me, like they were up for it. It's not that like, it's not that guys don't want to talk. It's not that they hate they're the just not, They're just not going to fight for it. Well, they just, why do they, why would they want us in the room where they get right, dressed? Right, right. Like that, there's no, they, why would you want that? No one would want that. You know, it's awkward and weird. The clubhouse is a strange thing, you know? Um uh, I, I like I said, it's a net positive. Everyone benefits from it, as weird as it is. But I totally get the you know, and and I, it's hard to see the union rallying around. Like, all right, now by the way, like we need to fight to keep the media in there. <laughs> Do you think that there would be a better world if you had some sort of weird access that wasn't where players were getting dressed and showering? Like, uh, if there was, like, think about a clubhouse. If there was a mm-hmm. second room. Like most clubhouses have, um, like either in the center or on a side or something. Mm-hmm. Let's just call it the hangout area with the couches and the TVs and the card tables and stuff like that. If that was in a room that was not the same room as the lockers and the showers, wouldn't that be a better thing? Yeah, yeah, I think so. Yeah, um, it would. Yes, I, I think that there is that just the element of privacy that guys feel is intruded upon, and right, um, you know that you know that that I think makes it more awkward. And I think there's, uh, you know, in some markets where there's more reporters, you know, there can be uh, frustration among players that guys are just standing around, you know, trying to like yeah. overhear conversations, which like is really not what's going on. We're standing around because there's no one here to talk to, but we kind of need to wait to see if someone walks out. You know, it's just a, I don't know, that's like a chicken or egg thing. Um, again, like I, I really like, dealing with players you know for the most part i find you know i've got like that that's why i want more access because i like talking to players and i feel like everyone benefits when you know they talk to us and they have a they have a clue like who i am you know i'm not just some weird guy on the other end of a zoom call like all that sort of stuff you can actually build relationships and i think that's it's tough to do that in the in the current setup right and new york's unbelievable i i you know i didn't travel with the team very much at all but i like i remember like my first couple of years with the astros obviously the astros stunk and like there was the chronicle guy yeah the mlb guy and maybe a stringer like that was it on the field before the game right and i remember um going with the team to new york and it's like again like it's like a june midweek game with mm-hmm. the really bad astros and the game was over and like left my seat to go down into the tunnels to go into the locker room right mm-hmm. and and they haven't let they haven't opened up the locker room of the press yet and there's 
I don't know, 43 people waiting outside the Yankees locker room? <laughs> like media members to get it? It's just, yeah. I was like, oh my God, this is unbelievable. Yeah. And there's, you know, three waiting to get into the Houston thing. It was yeah. unbelievable. And like, it's a whole other world. Yeah. By the way, how dare you refer to the legend Zachary Lafitte Levine as the Chronicle guy? Come oh, on, Zachary is a legend. If you're, if you're <laughs> Vegas Zachary, legend. You're, yeah. the, you're the best. Zachary is a, what an interesting story. Like, he was the. Mm-hmm. He was the Chronicle beat writer, and now he works in Las Vegas setting odds at a sports book, right? He, he runs Las say, Vegas. Is my he runs Las Vegas. Yes, yeah, that's he's, the way he's it Joe goes. Pesci's character, except for much uh, taller. <laughs> but just as mean-spirited. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you know Zach. Yeah. We'll take a break. You listen to a song by Weekend Friends. We'll come back. We'll read your emails and blather about other stuff. So stick around. It's always most times Cause I cut my teeth But I didn't do it right And I'll spin out blood Splitting my lips And chewing out my own tongue I wish I was What you like I wish I was What you like Podcast. You just heard a song by Weekend Friends, our return engagement. They were our musical guests last week, but with like the, the shows that we're doing during the lockout with no guests, we only get to play two tracks. So we're playing two more. Uh, Weekend Friends, this is from their latest album, Quitter, on Don Giovanni Records, a trio from Portland, Maine, 
And it's a whole album about how much the music industry sucks. They're really good. And we got lots of really good feedback. People in the chat, people on Twitter saying how much they like them. People are going to go see them. People buying records. So we thought we'd bring them back for more songs. They're really good. Um, weekendfriends.bandcamp.com or go to Don Giovanni Records. You can yeah, buy the record there. And they have t-shirts and all that good stuff. And support independent music. You should do that, Andy. Yeah, man. All right. <laughs> Are you ready for emails? Yeah, no, hold on. I'm deleting Spotify. Give me a second. (laughs) I I can't believe Joe Rogan hasn't invited me to be on yet. Yeah. So what you're saying is, I don't know, it makes makes you think. uh, Um, Do I want to talk about Joe? No, I don't. No, probably not. I'll get enough kickback from... His podcast, you, his podcast many years ago with comics were interesting. I, yeah, I, I thought I, were, I can honestly say I've never, I've never listened to a second of Joe Rogan. Um, but if you bring him up, boy, do they come out and after you on Twitter. It's like uh, I, he has like he has a barstool esque army of people. Yeah, I, I'm not a, I, I don't listen to Joe Rogan. I have listened to his show before it went over to Spotify when he had comics I liked on there, and I like the interviews. But uh, yeah, it seems sure. like some of the stuff he's saying lately is not great. Anyway, yeah. moving on. No one should have Jordan Peterson on a podcast. Or <laughs> yeah, frankly. yeah, right, right, right. right. Um, send your emails to us, chinmusic at fangraphs.com. Our first email comes from Brian, and Brian asks, do you think baseball owners as a whole like baseball, or is it more important <laughs> that it provides lucrative financial returns and they are willing to strip it down to becoming an unwatchable mess if that would make them the most money? This is a fun question, Brian. So, I think most baseball owners like baseball, and I think many of them love baseball. I think, you know, personal experience, Jim Crane loves baseball. He played baseball in college. He was good. He loves baseball, loves the game. I think, you know, I, I honestly, like a guy who we make fun of as much as any owner in baseball, and for good reason, and like Dick Monfort, I think Dick Monfort loves the Colorado Rockies maybe more than anybody. Um, I... I, I think most of them like or love baseball um they're also billionaires and billionaires are are excessively weird people and one thing that they might love more than baseball is money and that's just how their worldview is going to be but i think i would bet most of them at least like baseball and many of them love baseball that doesn't mean they're going to behave in a way that is beneficial to the sport yeah i just i just don't think there's necessarily a correlation between um, making baseball an aesthetically enjoyable competitive uh, product and the owner's franchise valuations rising because that is what is happening is that the franchises are going up and up and up even as the you know sport aesthetically kind of gets worse and worse and worse so uh, <laughs> yeah I mean I, I don't think there's a correlation between the, the inverse relationship there either per se I just right what, right what, yeah these guys all definitely like baseball they just like making money more and uh, right now their two interests are not really in conflict. Right. I think Jerry Reinsdorf loves baseball. Like, you think about the Braves. Like, they're owned by Liberty Media. It's a purely financial interest, I think. Um, but I think when you think about most, you know, owners that are owned by an owner or a traditional owner, I think most of those guys are, like, you know, I think Steve Cohen is a huge Mets fan and likes this stuff. But he's also Steve Cohen and he's more interested in making money. 
you know what's interesting one of the one of the complaints you would I would occasionally hear around the Dodgers is that uh, is that you know like Mark Walter who's kind of the head of Guggenheim was not per se like a huge Dodger fan like he wasn't yeah. living and dying with the team and I was sort of like wow that sounds like great for everyone involved like so he's willing to spend all this money and oh, he's also God, like ideal you know uh i i think you know i've heard that that that's maybe a little overblown he actually does care about what's going on with the dodgers but like there was this perception sometimes like this guy he lives in chicago like he doesn't even care and it's like well does he outfit the team with a quarter you know billion or you know whatever like a quarter of a billion dollar payroll every year and kind of right. let andrew friedman do what he wants well it sounds like kind of an ideal owner actually it's the best yeah that, that's there's there's three owners there's the one that just gives you money and leaves you alone mm-hmm. if you work in a front office and that's the best owner mm-hmm. there's the one that gives you money and is involved but never gets in the way and that's fine you can that's perfectly fine like they they're paying the they paying the bills if they need to you do explain what you're doing once in a while to them. That's fine as long as they say, ever say no or yes, as long as you go in the budget they gave you. And then there's the super involved owner. And those guys are nightmares. Yeah. Absolute nightmares. So, like, yeah, I, if, if owned by a team that didn't yeah. care about the stuff you do, just said, here's the budget, work with it, is the absolutely ideal situation if you were yeah. a front office person. It's the best. The Wilpons loved owning the Mets. Yeah. <laughs> so. And they were a disaster. There you go. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I, I, they do. I think they like it. And again, I think many of them love baseball. It just doesn't necessarily correlate to them doing the right thing for baseball. Jeremy writes in, greetings, Kevin, an esteemed guest. Right. As I understand it, minor league transactions can continue during the labor stoppage. But what about former major league veterans who want to sign a minor league deal with an invitation to major league camp? For example, a few years ago, the Brewers signed Giovanni Gallardo to such a deal. Would the fact that Yo was a decade-long union member preclude him from signing a similar deal now, or would he be okay to do so? I can see how this could be viewed as slimy, especially if we get to a place where owners charge admission to minor league games. On the other hand, why should vets get screwed out of a chance for a second act to their careers while nobody bats an eye when the youngsters are participating? Um, it's not too complicated. If you're on a big league deal or on a 40-man, you're in the union. If you're not, you're kind of not in the union at this time. Um, so Giardo could sign a minor league deal. There's plenty of guys who have signed minor league deals, as you've seen, um, during this lockout. And when minor league camp shows up, they're going to show up to that and no one's going to hold it against them. Yeah. That might be the best way to put it. It's like, no one's going to hold it against them. And when big league camp starts in, on March 17th, per the podcast you've listened to, um, hmm. those players that do have the, the NRI parts of their contract, which is the, the non-roster invitation, will go to major league camp. But, that's fine. Like major league camp starts out somewhere in the neighborhood of 55 to 60 players. Yeah. Um, and so they'll all show up and they'll go there and no one will hold it against them. No, no one like no union member, 40 man people are going to hold it against the big league vet who signed the triple A deal. Like yeah. no one, nobody. I also, I mean, there hasn't really been any movement on this front. I mean, I think there's been a few guys who've like, you know, like I saw like Rosny Castillo sign like a minor league deal. There's been a couple, but uh, I, I just don't. There's not a much incentive for guys to take the like the lowest form of deals, like because right. Know, maybe there's a big league deal waiting for you. Know what I mean? Right, and that's that's that, I mean that's usually your biggest barrier to signing guys to those NRI deals, yeah. which is. Like you want to sign them, they're like, yeah, this sounds great, but we're going to wait and see if we can get a forty man deal. Mm-hmm. That's what right. that's their most common, you know, return from the agent is like, yeah, there's nothing wrong with this offer. It's a perfectly good offer. We might take it, but right now we're going to still see if we can get a a, a real forty man deal. Yeah, um, 
and that that whole again that's going to compress in the seven to ten days after an agreement as well. Yeah. When the um, uh, when the Royals signed uh, Chris Young uh, in the spring of twenty fifteen, the six eleven the the current Rangers general manager, the pitcher Chris Young, yes, not the pitching coach or outfielder, uh, right? Or or should I say, yeah, the the general manager Chris Young, excuse yeah. me. Yeah. Uh, when they signed him, he had basic his two best offers were a, a big league deal with the Royals. It was like the big league minimum, I think. And a and like a NRI from the Dodgers that I think had uh, was going to pay him like maybe like you know three times as much if he made the roster and he just he kind of uh, took the the big league deal right uh, just because of the security of it and uh, yeah yeah so P yeah they they're all they all want forty man jobs um, but yeah no one's going to hold against them they can show up and they'll go to minor league camp when that kicks off in I don't know, about a month or so can't wait. Finally, email comes from Eric. Eric says, if one were interested in taking a baseball vacation to the Dominican Republic, what time of year would you recommend? What are some must-sees or must-avoids? I'll hang up and listen. Thank you, Eric. Um, you got to go during the winter when winter league games are going on because there's tons of baseball stuff obviously going on in the summer and things like that. But Eric, you're not allowed to go to that. Um, like DSL games are really cool. They're also happening at the complexes and the complexes have fences and gates and guards with guns. Um, and, and entrance and, and is into those things is very, very secured. You have to be um, part of major league baseball or they have to know you're coming before they're going to let you into those places. Um, it's you're in the Dominican Republic. You're not in the, for lack of a better term, the tourist area of the Dominican Republic. That's all kind of on the north and the east side of the island are the beautiful beaches and resorts. And if you're doing baseball stuff, you're on the south side of the island, which is where San Domingo is and, and places surrounding within an hour of that is where all the baseball stuff is happening. And you're just not allowed into the summer stuff. That's just how it is. So you go during the winter, you go to winter league games. Um, it's kind of amazing. Like the two... Most popular teams really say in Escojito, and when they play, it's kind of like a Yankees Red Sox environment. But here's the thing about Lise and Escojito they have the same home stadium. Whoa. So imagine if the Yankees and the Red Sox play in the same home stadium. They both play <laughs> in, in Kisakea and San Domingo. And so it, it works just like, you know, one team's on the road, one team's on at home most, most days during the Winter League. But when they play each other, it is something special. Um, I, I highly recommend getting to Winter League games. Tickets are cheap. Um, like you just have to be ready for San Domingo life, which is a little different. Um, it's a little rough and ready at times, but it's perfect. It's I don't know. I've never I've never felt unsafe in San Domingo. Um, but you do have to realize that you're not in you're not in the tourist part. You're in where the real people are, and and you know you're going to fly into the airport, which is not designed for tourists. You're going to have to travel, which is not designed for tourists. You're not. You shouldn't drive. Um, you know, obviously, we've all seen. It feels like an annual occurrence of baseball players getting severely injured, if not downright killed, due to traffic problems or, or car accidents. And it is as bad as you think. The driving there it is really scary. Um, I know when I worked for a team, literally, we're not allowed to rent a car or drive there just because the travel insurance wouldn't cover it. Um, and mm. most teams are like that, and they have drivers. Um, I've never driven there. I never. I would. I hope I never would have to drive there. It's really. It's really scary. It's a weird thing. Mm. Um, but like there's, you know, 
You could, there's a there's a thing called the the Malecon. It's kind of like Lakeshore Drive. It's like right, right on the water. It's where like all the hotels are. There's plenty of very nice hotels. Um, there's plenty of really good restaurants. There's this place called the Colonial Zone, which is filled with some of the oldest um, Western built structures in this hemisphere. Um, you know things that were built when Columbus first landed there. It's it's a pretty mm. incredible place. It's just you know you're not. There's like there's no beaches. It just it's just like rocks and cliffs and water. Like there's no, you know, the whole Dominican beautiful water beaches is not where the baseball is. Mm. Um, it's not a huge drive. It's like three hours, but like it, you're kind of I've never I've never seen a beach in the Dominican Republic, and I've been there thirty times. Um, but I would highly recommend taking a baseball vacation. Just get to do it in the winter and do it when winter league stuff's going on because you just can't do the warm weather stuff. You're just not allowed, Eric. I'm sorry, but you're not. But yeah, it's, it's a it's an interesting thing. The first time you go there and you get to someone else's complex, there's like a guard with a shotgun that may or may not have bullets in it, but it's still a shotgun. Um, you know, and then it's no, you're just not allowed in. You ever been to the Dominican? I have not. No, I I, I would like to. Uh, it's it's, great. at some point. Yeah, I um, I don't know if I would go for a baseball vacation. Um, but uh, I would like to go to the D. I mean, I don't know. Maybe maybe I'll go for. Maybe I'll go first. I would go for a story or something. But, uh, mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's a good time. I highly recommend it. It's a really, it's a good time. It's eye opening. I've always said, like, if I ever ran a front office, which would be a huge mistake for somebody, um, I would make it mandatory that ever, absolutely everyone in baseball operation would at least have to go there because the first time you go, it's just really eye opening. And just to kind of see where all of these players are coming from, I think is, is, is really helpful. Um, and you, you realize you know, what it looks like. Um, and, and, you know, the complexes, the towns where they live and where they're coming from, I think it really helps understand, um, you know, these players' background and really appreciate what they're doing. And I, I, you know, I remember a long, long, long time ago, um, you know, someone telling me, like, these guys, these kids are my heroes. And I understand that thinking now, you know, considering, like, where they come from compared to where most of the American kids come from. It's unbelievable. Yeah, that makes sense. You know, and, and it's, it's, I always, like, tell people this, like, you know, almost every team, I think every team at this point does have like a school, you know, at their complex where they're teaching English and life skills and stuff like that. And for so many of these players, um, they have to spend a year or so learning Spanish before you can teach them English because they're not fully literate. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, most teams, you know, obviously provide housing at the complex for their players and are feeding them four meals a day mm-hmm. uh, because they're professional athletes, but also because they're a lot of them are not properly nourished. Mm. Um, you know, they're getting four meals a day. And like when you sign kids, like, yeah, we're going to give him four meals a day. It's going to take time to get the parasites out of his body. Like it's a whole world that you got to realize. Right. Um, it's really something else, but I, I mean, I recommend going and, and just seeing the place cause it's really something else. Yeah. Yeah. It's, sense. it's wonder. It's great down there. Um, send your emails to us. Chinmuse at fangraphs.com. Andy, it's time to catch up with you. Oh man. Let's do it. You are a professional creator of baseball content. Um, sure. It's February 3rd. There's We're in a lockout that's been going. Where Are we at two months yet? We're at somewhere around two months, right? Uh, um, yeah, it's December 2nd. Yeah, yeah it, was, it was right around like when the winter meetings were not going to happen. Um, what are you doing? Like, do you, first of all, like, do you feel, A, do you feel pressure to kind of, like feed the beast because you have to create your job is to create baseball content um and 
do you feel external pressure, like from the athletic, like, hey, like we still need content, like, and and have, have, have what have your struggles or non-struggles been because of that? <laughs> yeah, um, I have to be honest. I'm pretty much over making shit up. Um, <laughs> I I don't mean to say like writing fiction. I just I mean understand. like yeah. I just mean like inventing premises. You know, like, um, 2020 was for a variety of reasons really challenging uh to to try and be a baseball writer uh which like is not exactly a essential worker or a frontline hero but i just i'm just you know the idea like covering baseball was not easy in 2020 it was a little bit better last year um but you know without clubhouse access you're kind of you know you're at the mercy a lot of times of pr guys you know if they're Mm -hmm. willing to like return your emails and stuff like that. You know, it's hard to forge new relationships with players. It was still pretty challenging. I mean, yeah, I, there's definitely pressure to keep writing, you know, as much as I would like to, uh, you know, write once a year. Uh, unfortunately we live in a capitalist society where you need uh, money for goods and services. And so I kind of need to keep, working um you know like the thing the thing the i guess the reason why like i harp on the access or whatever um is like when when you're a beat writer like you gain an appreciation and i was a beat writer for like nine years right mm-hmm. like and uh, you, you you gain an appreciation for just how little you know about what's going on with the team um like even if you're a good beat writer like you can be around the team every day inside the clubhouse in the post game stuff talking to people coaches players the manager executives and you still like only scratch the surface of the dynamics of the team it's just a massive massive complicated organism you know and you're just not privy to most of the stuff going on and like um you know like I, i don't mean to be a dick about this but i think like you can relate from the front front office side of not knowing everything that's going on with your team, right? Like there's oh just, yeah, it's, it's, so be a dick about it. It's fine. Yeah, absolutely. You know, it's, it's, like <laughs> yeah, I mean, and even like when I first started, the, the most shocking one, of the you know, there were a lot of things that I just you know, you get there and you're like, I mean, I had no, I had no idea it was like this. And one of the things I didn't realize was just like how many fucking people work here. Yeah, yeah. So there's just there's a lot going on, and even if you're really good at being a, a beat writer, you don't know everything that's going on. Well, now like we just we don't even have a slip. We have like a sliver of that. And so, mm-hmm. you know, that's you're doing zoom stuff in some markets at the end of the season. It's a very controlled, sterile environment. And right. it just kind of, you're just inventing premises or you're kind of like, you're watching a guy do a post game interview and you're like, I don't know, he seems interesting. And you know, maybe there's enough to do a story there. And like, I kind of thought that about Nick, Castellanos and like it ended up being that he was an interesting guy and I was able to do a story I was happy about but there were other stuff I did you know last year where you're just like oh I'd like to write about this and then you try and do it and it's like yeah this isn't real um and and so like in that context I mean I think like with this lockout being imposed like it's just it's it's like a total freeze and it's really really frustrating and when I worked at a newspaper you know the offseason was like the offseason you know, like in, in Casey, when the Royals stopped playing, like it was okay if I didn't have a story every day because the Chiefs were playing. And, you know, in L.A. it was the Lakers. But, you know, now I'm at a baseball vertical and the baseball vertical needs content, you know. And it's it's hard enough to, like, generate ideas when there's no games, no action during the winter. But now there's just, like, nothing. And so right. 
you know, we just did a actually kind of fun project. It was like a fantasy draft of, you know, 30 people, uh, 30 of our staff writers drafting like, um, an owner, a, a, a market, a ballpark, a pitcher, a hitter, a manager, a GM, you know, and I, they, I, my editors asked me to like sort of grade the draft, which is just like a great way to alienate myself further from the staff. Um, you know, so that went well, uh, you know, and then like all this sort of coincides with me being, you know, to get a little, uh, to probably shoot a little too straight. Like I'm at something of a professional, crossroads i guess i i i i have really struggled kind of adjusting to being like a quote-unquote national baseball writer um, okay i think i mean the main problem with the job is just that i'm terrible at it but um, oh, come on you know that's, but, that's not true <laughs> but uh yeah i mean you know here at the athletic you know like we have 30 beat writers or we have a lot of beat writers we don't cover every team we cover most of them and they do really good work and like you know, oftentimes, like, if I'm interested in a player on the Brewers, you know, Will Salmon's already written something great on him, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's, like, same with, you know, like, the Blue Jays and, and Caitlin McGrath or, you know, Bags on the Giants, you know, whatever. Like, I could talk, you know, James Fegan. Like, you're drawn from a drained pool, and so you're kind of left with not as much to write, and you just don't know it as well as the beat writers do, you know? Right, and then right. I'm not really – uh, I don't really have the constitution to be like a scoops guy. Um, yeah, I, that doesn't appeal to me at all. You know, I, when I was a beat writer, I was like competitive on the news. Like I broke stuff here and there, but mostly yeah. just tried to keep up with, you know, the national guys. <laughs> Sometimes Rosenthal will text me and he'll like ask for help on stories. And he'll be like, hey, like uh, you hearing anything on this? And I'll just be like, you know, Ken, for 10 years, I just waited for you to break stuff. And then said, hey, is this true? <laughs> and then confirmed it. Uh <laughs> Uh, did, do you did you find yeah. in the last couple of years with in the whole in the world of Zoom calls did you mm-hmm. find yourself kind of um, self editing at times just because like if you ask a certain question you might be showing your hand on what you're working on or writing there's some of that you know um, what I mean there's some of that there's some that the organic give and take of the press conference is gone um. You know, all right, I'll, I I can share this because I actually, you know, like there was, uh, after the, after the, uh, the Astros beat the twins in the first round, um, uh, Carlos Correa kind of puffed out his chest a little bit on the zoom Mm -hmm. call and was talking about how like, you know, no one, you know, thought we should be here, blah, blah, blah. And I sort of was sitting there, I was on the Zoom call and I was thinking, you know, like a great question to ask if I was at a press conference in this setting would be what's the hardest part of hitting a baseball when you don't know what pitch is coming, Um, which is like a really mean spirited antagonistic question, but it's sort of like designed to kind of stir it up. And I didn't ask it because it's like, it's kind of bullshit to and i i have nothing against carlos correa i've dealt with him a few times i think he's he's great to deal with you know but it's just kind of like i was just thinking of like what if i was there with dylan hernandez what would we be doing in this press conference you know to kind of stir shit up um and it's just but it's just such a it's just like it's like a cowardly thing to ask it on zoom in a way because he should have the right to like scream in my face when i do that i guess and so it just I just feel you just feel kind of disconnected and it, there's very like sterile 
So, right, it's cold. Um, yeah, and and so I think it hurts in 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 that way. Um, there is that like you don't want to tip what your tip your hand of what you're writing. You know, like during the playoffs this year, you know, we had in person access again, um, so you could you know, grab guys off to the side. So like I was able to get Jock Peterson to talk about, you know, leaving the Dodgers like off to the side and that was productive. But right. yeah, in the Zoom era, like it's just not, there's no follow-ups. It's really, you know, sometimes your mic gets cut off. It's just, it's not a really productive situation. And so, I mean, going back to your, your grand theory that you're never going to have clubhouse access again, mm-hmm. I mean... Do you think that is just over in that sense? Like, I mean, you're just, are, is it just going to be Zooms or is it, are you going to, are you, are you going to no. be like, or Zooms are you going to be like struggling and having to like arrange through a PR person who may yeah. or may not be helpful to get a one-on-one with somebody? I think it's going to be that. I think you're going to have to, you know, the way it worked this year was basically you would tell the PR guy like, Hey, here are the guys I would like to speak with today. Um, and you know, and what I do is very, you know, it's different than what B writers are doing, you know, and, and a lot of times they have sort of relationships with guys and so they can kind of mm. grab them, you know, or set something up the day before. And sometimes if I'm coming in, you know, for just one day, yeah, you drop um, in and say, Hey, I'm writing something about Sean yeah. Ahmed. Yeah, I'm coming to Phoenix to talk to Sean Ahmed. Can you make yeah. that happen? Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, so yeah, I think it's going to be like the manager will probably talk in the dugout, uh, which is fine. And then. You know, you can kind of grab guys in the dugout after, you know, while they're doing BP or whatever and try and make the best of it. And, like, that's fine. Like, it's not that, that, that the interviews are worse than they are in the clubhouse. It was more like I found that it took me about a week to report stuff that used to take a weekend, you know. So, like, if, if you got one good interview a day this year – that was a successful day, whereas, right. you know, in years past, you could bang out five or six things that were, you know, helpful in that amount of time. Right, right, right. Um, I mean, so, so in the current day, like here on February 3rd, are you working on something? Yeah, I've got some stuff. I'm, I'm getting on a flight tomorrow to go do a story, and I've got a couple other projects. Um, they're just, it's just, it's just, the, the offseason's always hard for me, uh, and it's just much it's harder now because because of the, the lockout is like no one's supposed to be talking to us. So like some teams are just not responding to uh, messages. And so like, no, you know, guys don't want to talk on the record. And, Mm-mm. you know, so it's just, it's, it gives people just another reason not to return your call. Like, right. Right. You know? Right. Uh, so, I mean, are you, I don't know. I feel like our lives are a little different in this, or very yeah. different in this, in the sense, just like, are you always going through a media relations person? Uh, it depends on the story. It depends on like if you wanted to write something and get, I mean, like, and get Jock Peterson's input on this. And Jock yeah. is, you know, you you cover the Dodgers. You might have Jock's cell phone number in your phone. Yeah. Um, do you just hit up Jock, or do uh, you? go through yeah if it's if it's someone i know you know if i need to talk to if if you know the red Sox are in town and i need to talk to rich hill i can text rich hill and tell him you know um hey i'd like to come speak with you but if it's a player i don't know i usually just go through pr because like i tend to i tend to try and play things straight up 
Um, I know that some people like to circumvent PR for stories and, um, you know, I just kind of look at it as like, if I tell them, you know, Hey, I'm working, you know, I don't have to tell them like what I'm writing per se, but just like, you know, Hey, I'm working on a story about this subject. I'd like to speak to so-and-so. Um, usually they, there's more upside than downside, I guess. Um, I found that, you know, when I was a beat writer, I was very like, not relying on PR. I kind of pride myself on like, I don't need PR for this stuff. I can just, you know, I'm here every day. And I yeah, kind of yeah, took yeah. that into my like first year of, uh, of being a national guy. I would just kind of like walk in the clubhouse and be like, all right, I'm going to get this guy. And then that guy would never appear. And the PR guy <laughs> would just be like, why didn't you send me an email? Right. And I'm like, Oh, like you guys aren't like the enemy, you know? And it's not, it's, you know, I, um, I think if you're doing your job as a beat writer, well, you're like probably fighting with the PR staff like 10 times a year. And so you just kind of, you know, whatever, like it, um, it's, and I, yeah, I, uh, really like, uh, the PR guys I've dealt with over the years, but it's just naturally sort of an antagonistic relationship. And so I, I took that into the national role and found that like, no, I should just tell, you know, the Reds or the Padres or whomever, like, Hey, I'll be in town. And like more often than not, they'll help. Um, at least just like facilitate it. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know. You said you were at a career crossroads right now. <laughs> yeah. Is this going to be like published? Uh, yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. How crossroady are you? Can, oh, I, can, we, can I, can I not touch this or is this okay? No, it's, it's fine. It's, it's fine. I mean, I'm, uh, uh, I'm, I'm 34 and I'm wondering what my next decade is going to look like professionally. I, you know, I don't know if that makes me unique per se. Um, but is, yeah. Is, yeah. is any aspect of that not, um, like personal and, and just the nightmare that is modern sports media? Uh, what do you mean? Just the industry in general. Um, yeah. I mean, I do, I do think that, um, hmm. <sighs> I've had a, I've had a hard time in this as a national guy, like trying to figure out what readers want to read. Um, you know, Joel Sherman at the New York Post has a, has a sort of rule, you know, he has a, has mentioned this as a piece of advice. It's like, you know, write what you want to read, you know, write what interests you. Um, and then that will sort of carry the, you know, cause if you're not interested in the subject, the read, you're not going to be able to make the reader reader in the subject. And so like, but the sort of stories that I, you know, that really like, um, that really speak to me are kind of anachronistic in a way. I mean, it's, you know, it's like the, the, you know, it's the cliche, the cliched, like, stuff that was in, you know, Sports Illustrated or Best American Sports Writing in like the 90s and, you know, in the in the 2000s. It's just stuff from a different era that is less uh, feasible now. I think guys are just, uh, there's more channels for them to communicate with the public. And so, you know, there's the less like, there's less like sort of exclusive vulnerability, I guess, in some ways. Um, you know, I've also yeah, I just, I just, I find myself thinking like, oh, like, you know, I, I, I spent, you know, maybe like two or three weeks, maybe a, like a month this past year, like working on a big story about you Darvish. It was kind of right before he started like, uh, Darvishing to like an extreme extent and fell mm-hmm. off a cliff. But like, it was when he was really good in the first couple months. And I like yeah. really, you know, and I, I find him to be really fascinating. And I talked to like 30 people, um, 
He wouldn't talk to me because I think he's still mad for me blasting him for the 2017 World Series. Um, but, uh, but you know, and I, I was like really proud of this story, and I thought it was like a really, really good, uh, you know, exploration of like what makes this guy tick. Done like as a write around, I was like really proud of it, and like no one gave a shit, and <laughs> and like it just kind of made me think it's like, man, like this is like what, this is like the one guy I wanted to write about the most. Like I took as big a swing as I've got and like 25 retweets. It's like, I don't know, man. Like maybe, you know, maybe I'm not like, maybe I'm not made for this world anymore. I don't, I don't know. Like, I, 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 I don't know. I, I also think like reader, you know, this is a hard time for everyone in a lot of ways. And so there's just less attention to, there's less leisure time. I think, um people are you know more stressed about stuff but that i don't know that sure uh, sure yeah yeah it's time for a moment of culture andy are you ready for that yeah i'd like to share my you darvish story from uh <laughs> from may i think it's really good <laughs> did it just like it just didn't do the traffic you thought like it didn't get the traction it just, you thought like yeah i mean you know what it, like i'll be honest like i was a beat writer the team i covered as a beat writer for four out of five seasons went to the world series you know the royals for two years you know and the dodgers in uh in in 17 and 18 and when you're covering a team that goes to the world series you get a lot of attention you get a lot of praise and you you get a lot of retweets and engagement and all that sort of stuff and like uh i think while i understood uh, you know that uh, you, you start to just you know kind of get high on your own supply and you think mm-hmm. that it's because you know it's not that the team's winning because you're there but like people are reading your stuff because they like your stuff and it's no it's they like reading about their team winning mm-hmm. uh, and I think I've just kind of had to readjust my uh expectations of how how many you know real McCullough heads there are out there uh, I think would be the, you know, I don't know. I really hope no one listens to this. No offense. Yeah, they cancel uh, the world tour. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, that's that's all. You know, as I just, I, I, yeah. But uh, I'm doing good. I, you know, I'm getting into cooking. <laughs> I'm really into cooking this year. Uh, much like Sam Miller, I love washing the dishes. Uh, I really. <laughs> I love washing the dishes. I felt really seen when Sam was talking about that a few weeks ago. Um, but yeah, so all in all, things are good, man. I got no complaints, but I just, what's the, what's the last great, what's the last really good thing you made? Uh, let me, uh, I, well, I've been making this, uh, this chili that the New York times cooking app, uh, has it's uh hold on. I'm going to find the, the name of it. It's chili with chocolate and peanut butter. It's kind of mm-hmm. like a, it turns into like a mole. Um, it's nice. really good. Yeah. yeah cho- uh, chocolate's in Cincinnati chili, which is delicious by the way. Oh, wow. Um, yeah, I made some jambalaya a couple weeks ago that was good, and tonight nice. I'm making I'm making butter chicken for dinner. So I've got that outstanding right now. Yeah, cooking's great. Uh, I'm I only started cooking this year because I was like, what's a way to uh, uh, lose weight and save money? Uh, and it's been you know uh, it's been great. Yeah, for sure. Okay, back to a moment of culture. Hit yes. Me. What do you got? Uh, I actually uh, yeah, I would say. Uh, moment of culture is I've been listening to a lot of releases from uh, Griselda Records, which is a, a record label based in Buffalo, New York. Um, 
it's uh, kind of built around three guys, uh, West Side Gun, his brother, Conway the Machine, and their cousin, Benny the Butcher. Um, there, It's the easiest way to describe the general aesthetic is like they sound like mid-90s East Coast rap. Like if you like Mob Deep, you'll probably mm-hmm. like this. Um, I'm not really good at describing music, but uh, I, I really try and listen to like every release Griselda puts out there's so much stuff i mean with streaming it's there's just there's kind of a mass release of stuff but like you know that uh you can go listen to like frank murphy which is like a big eight minute cut that has almost everyone on the label and uh conway's got a good song called you know uh seen everything but jesus uh benny had a single last summer that was called uh immunity that samples the uh the lick from the wet hot uh american summer theme that was really good so yeah griselda's great uh you know makami's on there uh you know armani caesar lots of good artists outstanding griselda records um i'm gonna recommend something not to watch um (laughs) a moment of low culture well you here's the thing uh you know i it's uh, i once ran a pro pro scouting department and scouts have egos and scouts like to at times do something dangerous. I call it kept keeping score. Uh, oh, I helped get us that guy. I helped get us that guy. Oh, I drafted that guy. Mm-hmm. Um, and and I would always tell like sometimes the most valuable thing you can tell a team is don't get that guy. Okay, right. And and no one's going to keep score on that. Like the best thing you said was don't get that guy. Um, so we started a show because it got okay reviews and it's kind of like an interesting premise on Netflix called Archive Eighty One. And Archive 81 was like the story, this guy who works in like film restoration and this person hires him to kind of restore this set of videotapes from 1994 that were destroyed in a fire. Okay. And he starts to, to do them. And it turns out there's like a whole story of this. This woman like was doing a, like a documentary project on this apartment building. And these are all the, everything she shot. And she also died in the fire. And you're they're trying to, and they're finding out what's happening to her, and there seems to be some definite connections between what happened and the person who's actually doing the restoration. Like his family suddenly shows up in these twenty-something-year-old videos, mm. and saw this very cool show. And like the first two episodes, like totally into it, like sixty sixty-five television programming. Mm-hmm. It just falls off a cliff. Mm. Like it's eight episodes. By episode eight, like we saw it all the way through because we're masochists. By the last episode, my wife and I are like literally rolling our eyes and sighing mm. every five minutes with just how bad this thing got. Mm. And it was really it was really strange to see something go so far downhill so fast. What went sideways? It got a little, and I was okay with them doing this, like a little um, supernatural kind of okay. thing going on. Like there, there really were like ghosts and another little thing and i was fine and it was just all handled so incredibly poorly and it's just mm. like it's so much potential here with the interesting story of the guy kind of like going up to upstate new york and kind of locking himself in this little compound and working on these videotapes it, it could have been so much more interesting and it just got mm. so easy if you will would it have worked as a movie like if it was just two hours yes mm. so much better Yes. Yeah. It also would it also would have worked as four episodes instead of eight. Mm, okay. You know? Okay. Um and so yeah, not very good. Now we're just watching this ultra violent, ultra disturbing Korean zombie thing called All of Us Are Dead, which we're only three episodes <laughs> in, but so far so good. Yeah. Yeah, I uh 
I feel like this is not a unique point, but uh, every time I like sort of start watching, uh, you know, a, a, a new show, I sort of wonder, like, shouldn't this be a movie? Um, <laughs> right. Because like, obviously, that's what has happened is that, you know, all the all the auteurs are are making TV and all the movies are just like baby food. Mm-hmm. Um I saw that they're making them. I, I was on YouTube and I saw they're making a movie about the making of The Godfather. Like, that's oh. awful. Like, it's just, it just, oh, it's so upsetting. That said, like, there is a documentary that uh, uh, Coppola's wife shot about the making of Apocalypse Now called Hearts of Darkness. You ever well, seen that? Yeah, but that's, that that's, is. That's almost as good as the movie. I mean, yeah, but heart, but. Uh, like Hearts of Darkness is like an incredibly, I mean, yeah, because that's a that's like a, almost a decade long saga of him trying yeah. to make that movie, right? Yeah. Uh, but I just, I don't know, the idea that I want to see like Miles Teller as Francis Ford Coppola. Is just like, no, yeah, oh I don't need God. that. No, no, no that's, a, no that's, a, that's a bad. But there are shows like you know, like you think about shows that were really good, like I, like uh, like the White Lotus, Yellow Jackets that we finished, like. Mm. And, those were good and never, and it was fine that they, that you watched ten hours of television. I liked the White Lotus. Uh, I have not watched. Uh, I have not watched Yellow Jackets yet. Uh, I did. I did like the White Lotus, and I and I'm looking forward to that as it's uh, kind of an anthology type series coming back. So that should be so good. I, I, my understanding is like there's going to be another one, but it's not like it's not at that resort it's not the same yeah. people it's just like another story like that right i think it's i think it's like the same concept as like fargo where each season right. is exactly. a unique Perfect. story and i think it's going to be set at a new uh and set place. in a different type of white lotus hotel or i, I don't know but yeah another, I, another place where you take vacation like do one at a ski resort yeah sure sure i mean they right. should have murray bartlett in all of them uh, yes, but, it was amazing. I mean, he was he he was so good. Uh, who the guy who played the annoying guy? Uh, what, oh my god, Jake Lacey. He was really wait, wait, wait. good. There was a lot of annoying guys. Well, the, are you talking about the the guy who was uh, complaining about not getting into the pineapple suite? Oh, the yes, the the husband he, of the newlyweds was really yeah, good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alexander Daddario's husband. He was really good. He was we all. Funny. We all know that person. Very yeah, well. yeah, yeah, it was, it was yeah. very accurate. Um, okay, I think we're done here, Andrew. All right, I think we did it. Uh, right. Hopefully, I don't get fired afternoon. for this podcast. For Why this. would you get fired? Uh, well, I mean, I'm not good at my job. And I'm... First of all, no one you work with is going to listen to this. That's true. <laughs> so, if you want to follow Andy for his daily updates on the lockout <laughs> on Twitter, you go to <laughs> at by McCullough, and that's B Y. M-C-C-U-L-L-O-U-G-H. That's right. What do you got? Look at you. 61,000 followers. You're a big star. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> and oh, thanks God. for listening, everybody. And we'll figure out a way to get you 90 minutes of content next week. <laughs> <laughs>